Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, listeners. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. This episode is going to be a little different. And in this episode, we're going to be sharing with you a recording that I did for a webinar called How I Build a $10 Million Practice. And very recently, I, I just read the book. I believe it's called 100 Baggers. Um, it, it's on value investing, but the, uh, and this is originally a Peter Lynch concept or Thomas Phelps investing concept, but it's how to multiply the value of your investment um, 100 times or more. And the book goes through classic examples. And the realization that I had um, right around the time of the recording of this webinar was um, when I opened up in 2003, uh, opened up private practice for $50,000. And within the last 12 months had a, a independent private practice valuation done um, on our practice and it exceeded $10 million. And I think a share the actual number was 11, I'm sorry, $10 million, $11,900,000 was the fair market value estimate. And you know, there, there's a formula around that. But in this, um, you know, I, I share my experience of um, talking, having discussions with other practice owners and what we had achieved so that, you know, it's really a 200 bagger, our private practice. And that was a cool feeling to go through. So one of the more common things I hear when I'm talking with other owners is, you know, this, this desire, this aspiration, this dream without knowing where to start that I, I want to be able to sell my practice in let's say two to five years is the typical range. Where do I start? How do I think through this? You know, right now I'm treating 40 hours a week in the clinic. How do I overcome that? How do I get the right team on board, the right systems in place? How do I get as much value out of my practice as possible? Um, and I don't want somebody to come in and change the secret sauce and mess up my team and everything else. So there are a lot of questions that we as owners, as we're going through our private practice journey, have. So there, in, in this training, I share as much of that um, as I possibly can in the time allotted. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about that. That's what you're in store for here. I'm going to be sharing uh, the, the ups and downs, the, the pitfalls that you know we, we all have to overcome in order to build a truly valuable practice, whether we're talking about a monetary value or financial value or the impact in our community, because they're, they're very much um, the same thing right now. So the other thing that I want to tell you is if you want to learn more, um, pick up more strategies in terms of some uh, of the, the strategy growth or the uh, growth strategies that I talk about in this webinar um, that I used to grow my practice and now hundreds, if not thousands of other practice owners have used as well. You can request a consultation with our, our team here at Breakthrough. And podcast listeners get a $50 Amazon gift card when they attend a growth consultation. So this is really for you if you are growth-minded and you have the team and you're willing to build the team to handle more capacity. So in order to get that growth consultation, you can head on over to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer and schedule your free growth consultation. And when you show up to that growth consultation, get a $50 gift card. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. And with that, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode.
Awesome. Uh, Bob from Pittsburgh. Welcome, Bob. Welcome, Vicki. Great. So what we're going to cover here is uh, how I built a $10 million practice. And we're going to talk about three uh, specific behaviors that drive practice values. So um, I'm going to go through uh, my own story and, and what we did here and where that number came from. Um, we're going to talk about uh, 15 determinants of practice value and five that you should really focus on the most. Um, we're going to talk about a simple but magic formula for calculating practice value that you can use going forward. And uh, we're also going to talk about how you can start investing in your practice, what systems you can look at, what uh, team building you should look at, uh, what marketing you should look at, et cetera. Um, as you're increasing your practice value, growing your practice value, and then we'll open this up for Q&A at the end. So uh, there will be a poll coming up right now and uh, really quick questions. So two questions. Uh, the first one is, would you like to know the value of your practice? You can just simply click yes or no. And the second one is, are you looking to exit within the next 20 years? Which is fun question, a little bit tongue in cheek. Most of us within the next 20 years are looking to exit full disclosure. Um, I am not in the business of uh, buying and selling practices, but I am a, a, a practice owner. So you can answer that. Uh, looks like we have quite a few answers coming in already. Um, lots of yeses for would we, would I like to know the value of the practice? Um, looks like 57% uh, of you have voted already, which is great. And uh, most people looking to um, exit within the next uh, one to five years, or I guess the number one answer is within the next five to 10. So I can tell you um, that if you are looking to know the value of your practice one day, and you are looking to exit within the next 10 to 20 years, um, the time to start is, is right now. And uh, yeah, really it's, it's, Time is money more than anything else. Uh, so, and I do have a little bit of experience here. So three common barriers uh, before we get into the experience to growing practice value um, that I, I see a lot. So here at Breakthrough, I get to, I've talked with over a thousand practice owners now um, over the last eight years. And um, I, I've also had my own practice journey and you know other colleagues that own businesses as well. And um, number one thing that I hear is unrealistic owner expectations. And a lot of that revolves around this idea that um, one day uh, somebody's going to write me a big check and I'm going to get to, you know, I jokingly call it go sit under the mango tree. Basically, you know, I can go fly fishing the rest of my life or whatever it is. And I get to have this tremendous time and financial freedom. And um, I'm never going to have to worry about my practice again. And in most situations, that is uh, unrealistic. There is a lot of work that if that is going to happen one day for you, that is, there, there's a lot of work that's going to go into that, making sure the systems and the team are in place uh, before you do that. It's usually not uh, a, a, a six-month project. It's not something that you're going to accomplish in a quarter if you haven't been thinking about it and setting it up for years um, already. So number one is unrealistic owner expectations. My favorite, which I haven't heard uh, within the last few months, but I've heard within the last few years, is uh, this idea that practice value is driven by revenue. It is not. Um, 
and we'll talk about what, what does drive your practice value. Number two is ignoring the, the buyer or the market's perspective. Uh, there, it's pretty formulaic now within physical therapy. It's very similar to real estate. Um, you know, if you're in a certain market, so here in central Pennsylvania, we're talking about a, you know, four bedroom, two and a half bath home. It's the market is essentially $400,000. That's what, you know, 3000 square foot, three car garage, that type of home is $400,000 ish. Right. And it's very much the same thing in physical therapy. There aren't many outliers in terms of uh, practice value that, that don't follow uh, the formula that I'm about to show you here. And um, the other thing is, and I was just talking with uh, a pretty prominent uh, figure within uh, the physical therapy space last week, is there is a and I, I was sharing my perspective on this, but um, there's a lot of, you know, what's in it for me. So ignoring the buyer's perspective or the realistic expectations of the market is a huge error. And really, if you are thinking of exiting one day, um, there's an excellent book called Built to Sell by, uh, I think it's John Warlow uh, wrote the book. It, it's phenomenal in terms of not ignoring the buyer's perspective. And um, yeah, so some great life lessons in there. It's a fictitious story, but it's based on real life. And um, really, we want to be paying attention to the buyer's perspective. So, you know, the, the way to the exercise to think through that would be if you were a buyer of your own practice, um, if you were a buyer of your practice, what would you be looking for? You likely would not be looking for an owner that is taking a check and never operating uh, the business again, you would, you know, be looking for things like your staff retention rate and things along those lines. So we'll talk more about that here. And the third big mistake is underestimating the value of systems. Um, if your systems are you, and you, and you're looking at practice value, well, then your practice is really the value of your time, right? So, um, and that's not always sellable. So if you're, you know, a single site solo practice uh, tends to not be very valuable from the market's perspective or the, the buyer's perspective. So uh, like I said, I'll be pulling a lot from my experience here, um, opened uh, September 2nd, 2003. And the original business plan, which was uh, really, so I, I think it was uh, 26, 27 at the time. Yes, 26 at the time. Um, young marriage, young family. My wife was uh, nine months pregnant the day that I opened. And, uh, you know, the, really the, the only goal that I had in the beginning, which was a very selfish goal, was just to earn enough money as a self-employed physical therapist um, that my wife would not have to return to work. We had a conversation. We agreed that uh, we wanted to create a, a, a financial situation if possible where as we were having children and growing a family, she didn't have to return to work if she chose not to do so. Um, happy ending to the story is we now have six children and uh, I think she is taught, uh, she's a teacher. I think she's taught two or three years um, in the last 18. So, and they were all by choice. So open in 2003, by six months in, we had doubled the, the original business plan, um, hired another clinician right away, consistently saw uh, 
uh, right around 100 visits a week. Um, 2004 to 2006 really hit the ceiling, uh, could not get consistently over 100 visits a week, uh, had trouble hiring and all the other things that you and I face as private practice owners and clinicians. Um, <clears throat> I did, however, uh, once we hit 2006, hired three uh, clinicians within um, four weeks. So the game becomes, how do we fill that? And uh, back in the early 2000s within Pennsylvania, we got direct access in 2004 in physical therapy. Um, the name of the game was physician referrals. And in two th November of 2008, we hit an all-time high of 154 physician referrals in a single given month. And no single physician was more than 4% of those referrals. So we, we very much mastered that game quickly. And almost um, as soon as we did that, the physician referrals started drying up. Fast forward to today, 90% plus of those physicians that were referring to us now, um, the 200 plus referral sources, they now work in one of three hospital systems or they have their own POPs practice. So what that forced us to do back in 2010, 2011 is transition to direct to consumer marketing or direct access marketing. And um, as I have a problem uh, in life, anytime there's a barrier, I just fully get uh, immersed in understanding how to do it. So looked at, uh, uh, really became a student of marketing, uh, started with Jeffrey Gittimer, and uh, by the way, also looked at everything that our healthcare associations had to offer. Couldn't really find too much and successful um, direct to consumer marketing and started to look outside of healthcare. And yeah, started with Jeffrey Gittimer, got into just about anybody that you can imagine in terms of marketing. Uh, Jay Conrad Levinson, I think, was next with guerrilla marketing. Excuse me. <coughs> and uh, ended up reading over 100 books uh, in, on marketing over the years. So started implementing that and, um, and we started growing. So at this point we had uh, two clinics, filled those clinics up. And in 2016, we had an independent uh, evaluation done and we came in a uh, little, little bit uh, north of, of $4 million. And if you go back and you look at our numbers from 2012 to 2016, we really didn't have a lot of growth at that time. Um, we essentially filled those two offices and, and that was the extent of it, but we learned how to do that through direct to consumer marketing. Um, from 2016 to 2021, we had a goal of 20% year over year growth. And we were able to achieve that almost, um, well, within 1% uh, over um, by the end of 2021. So what happened there is with that growth, we grew into an $8 million uh, revenue company. And then uh, earlier last year in 2021, we had a valuation done and we came in um, at $11 million. I think it was actually $11.9 million. So that's a little bit of the story of um, what happened and how we uh, drove value and, and some of the barriers that we hit up against over time. Um, at and you know not only my practice owner I'm also co-founder here um, of, of breakthrough um, and really what our purpose is 
is to help uh, people that have health, health issues get back to normal um, naturally and uh, solve their, their health issues naturally. And the best way for us to do that is to work with other private practice owners like you. So let's talk about um, the determinants of practice value. So what does that mean? Well, you know, a, a solo practitioner, as I had alluded to before, who, you know, if we would go back to my practice in 2004, right, just starting out, it's uh, myself plus another clinician. We're doing a, roughly 100 visits a week, uh, maybe at the time, 30 to $35,000 a month in revenue. Our profitability might have been um, uh, roughly $130,000 a year. Fast forward to today, where we have 85 employees, 45 clinicians, um, and we're doing a uh, little bit north of uh, 8 million a year in revenue. Th those, those practices are different and they're valued differently in the marketplace. Certainly today, we're having a much more significant impact um, as an employer, as a service provider in our area than we did back in 2004. And um, our practice is significantly more valuable today than it was back then. <coughs> so um, here are the, the 15 determinants. You can read them on your screen. I wanna focus on the, the top five. So the first one is number and type of referrals, referral sources. So a few years ago, um, when, uh, when we were really looking at, you know, number of physician referrals, this was a big driver because if we had one physician who was referring the majority of our business, um, that would have created a problem, uh, decreased the value of our practice, right? Or if we have a ton of referral sources, um, if that's the type of business that you are, then the, the wider you are, the more diversified with your referral sources you are, the more valuable, more consistent your business can be perceived um, by the buyer. And that, that's, there's some logic behind that. What happened for us um, as physical therapists is being a little bit of ahead of the curve is we're more valuable in the marketplace because we don't rely on physician referrals. Um, last year, uh, well, going back to 2019, uh, we've had 9% of our new patients, our plans of care that are coming through come from physician referrals. So we're not uh, relying on that at all. We've diversified away from it, and therefore our practice is more consistent and ultimately um, more valuable in the marketplace. The size of the practice. I give you the example, the specific example of being a, you know, let's call it a, a $400,000 revenue practice back in 2004, and then an $8 million revenue practice today with six locations and 45 um, clinicians. It, it significantly different. So what happens is as the, your practice grows in size, um, the multiple, um, so not only are you growing revenues, not only are you growing uh, likely uh, more profitability, more margin, the multiple within um, your organization, within your practice also goes up. So I'm gonna give you a, a sliding scale. These change, uh, from day to day within the marketplace. Um, but it, let's take an example here. So go to the chat, um, give me um, any uh, large company that you can think of. 
that's traded on a stock exchange in the chat. Just whoever's first, I'll use uh, use what you say as the example. Apple, we're great. So Vicky said Apple. Um, that's a, a quick and easy one. So if you look at Apple and you look at their um, their their stock price is driven by a couple different things. So and when we're saying practice valuation here, the uh, in the stock market, they will say, uh, they'll call it market capitalization. And that really means what is Apple worth? Well, I think Apple was the first trillion dollar company, uh, had the first trillion dollar market capitalization. So what does that mean? Well, their stock price is derived um, from a, a couple different drivers. One is their revenue, or I'm sorry, their earnings, right? So that is, when you're looking at your stock prices, that'll say earnings per share. And the other thing is uh, they'll, they'll call it uh, PE ratio, price to earnings ratio. And Apple right now, off the top of my head, is running uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 within the last 12 months. So what that means is for every dollar that Apple creates in earnings, which is essentially profitability, the stock price um, or the, yeah, the stock price um, is multiplied by 30. So if you have $5 in earnings, the price of the stock will be $150. Apple generates billions of dollars a year in earnings, right? So it, for them to be a trillion dollar market cap valuation, you would basically take 1 trillion divided by 30 Right, and you would end up um, roughly at $3 billion, I'm sorry, 33, oh, let me think about that. Um, yeah, that's right, uh, 33? Yeah, $33 billion in earnings a year, right? It's very similar to a physical therapy practice. And um, for, you know, you can go on the stock exchange, any stock exchange and see uh, companies that are trading at, uh, very low multiples, very low PE ratios, uh, some below a three. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the So as we grow in practice, we tend to get a higher multiple. If I would look at my practice in 2004, um, when we first opened up, the multiple maybe at best, maybe a two or a three for that size practice. Um, very lucky if I would have gotten a, a two or a three at that time. As we grow in value um, today, what in the independent valuation, it's somewhere in the range of seven to 10, um, depending on uh, what market we're in and the other determinants. So size of the practice is significant. Um, the, the multiple doesn't, it's not static. A larger practice, a practice with size is gonna drive a, a higher multiple a higher PE ratio, for lack of a better term. Reputation, this is important <clears throat> uh, within the community. Do you have a, a name? By the way, uh, Adam asked a really good question here. Um, is that a multiple in gross revenue? It is not, Adam. That is a, a common uh, fallacy that I uh, mentioned earlier that, that I've heard. Um, that may have been accurate uh, 20 to 30 years ago. It is a, a multiple on EBITDA or earnings, correct? And you have it in there, yeah. EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. 
Uh, it's essentially the profitability of your clinic. So yes, it is a multiple on that. Um, and off the top of my head um, are the average, uh, we were given a range for a practice valuation. So they uh, took a three-year average, which I think was 1.7 million in earnings. And the multiple average range was a, a, a seven. Um, yeah, just to give you that. So at seven, point, seven times 1.7 is 11.9 million. That's where the, the practice valuation came from uh, for uh, when, when we're talking about this. So profit, and we'll get into that here in a second. So profitability trends, you know, are you growing? Are you shrinking? Are you retracting? Um, that's important. And also growth opportunities. Are you in an area where you could open other de novos, where you could uh, uh, potentially um, be a fit with other physical therapy clinics, perhaps acquire them, um, et cetera? It, are you in a desirable um, area? It, could you easily add other services, et cetera? You can, uh, yeah, just check out the other determinants here. They're all important, um, all important factors that, that drive the value of your business. Magic formula for calculating practice value. Adam was a slide ahead. Well done, Adam, is uh, the earnings, so which is essentially your profitability, um, or EBITDA is a more accurate way to look at it, times a multiple. What is the multiple? Uh, multiples determined uh, by the 15 variables. Uh, it's pretty standard. Um, and to, de to determine your multiple, these are ballpark figures um, that are fairly accurate. Um, this is something that we update at Breakthrough every year or two, um, talking with experts. Some of them you've heard on the podcast um, or at our events, but this is the range of, of what you could expect. Um, so it's simply earnings, EBITDA, times the multiple, which is in the table, equals your practice value. For example, let's say you're um, practice the profitability annual profitability is five hundred thousand dollars. You know, could you expect a, a five multiple there? Maybe, right? Uh, in the marketplace, so five hundred thousand dollars times five would be two point five million dollars. Would be the practice valuation that you could expect. Um, could expect there. Again, these are all ranges. Depends where you're at. Depends on the other fifteen determinants. But you can get a, a ballpark estimate there. So three key behaviors that make your practice value go up and, and drive your practice value. Number one is it's your people, right? Uh, it, it, it's really focus on building teams. Um, if you don't have the clinicians in place, if you don't have the directors in place, uh, very hard, difficult um, to relay a narrative that uh, where you're talking about retention, right? For most of us, um, or at least our practice, uh, we, we put a lot of attention on um, growing our therapy teams um, and our physical therapists. And we, we have uh, some of our partners right now um, started with us as physical therapy aides in their gap year, returned to school for their uh, doctorates, came back, <coughs> became a staff physical therapist, then a team leader, then a clinical director, and ultimately a partner. And they've you know, been with us for 10 um, upwards of uh, 13, 14 years, right? So we have some uh, longevity there amongst team. That, that is 
attractive. Having the right people in place is attractive, makes your practice uh, more stable, more consistent, more valuable. Um, the, the key thing right now is in this marketplace, I heard an owner uh, say this morning and having a conversation, I've never seen anything like this, this hiring market right now. This is, this is crazy. I agree. Um, it is very different. Um, so try not to make, especially if you're thinking of, uh, you know, exiting, transitioning out in the next five years, you don't want to make desperate personnel decisions right now um, that you're paying for later. It's cyclical. It won't stay like this forever. And there will be a day when uh, you can hire more easily um, in, the, in the future. So if you are hiring, uh, really three things to focus on there. Number one, be descriptive um, in exactly what you're looking for and stick to that. We use uh, core values uh, to drive exactly what we're, we're hiring um, as we're continuing to grow our team. Should be doing the same thing. We've had other webinars, other trainings uh, on that. Make sure your values align and paint a picture for growth. So when, um, Painting a vision for the future, if you're a practice owner, it's probably one of your most um, important competencies, most important skills um, that you can possess. So, you know, the, one of the things that we talk about frequently, especially as we're having uh, team member discussions, is what our practice is going to look like in the future. And we, have, we lay out a 10-year plan with numbers, with goals. Um, luckily, we have a uh, five-year history of, you know, essentially every quarter getting very close to um, exactly um, how we aim to grow. So we show them, they, they see our past successes opening um, other clinics and how uh, other therapists have ascended into uh, a director role and ultimately a partner role as well. So demonstrate that there's a, a path for them in, in terms of future growth, especially if they've expressed that they want more responsibility in the future and they're, they're looking at a career path. You, you wanna be able to show them that, yes, you're, you're growing, there's gonna be more responsibility and they can grow into um, the, those roles with more responsibility. Invest in your practice is uh, key point number two here. There are five ways that you can invest in your practice. Um, you, you can't starve your practice um, in terms of space, in terms of personnel, in terms of marketing um, equipment and systems uh, just to try to drive earnings uh, superficially and then exit because, because you're going to pay a price for, for doing that. I, I see owners do this too often where they try to cut um, the investment in the practice. The right thing to do is actually ramp it up. If you go back and we would have had this conversation in 2016 um, when we were doing, you know, roughly uh, it was right around 3 million uh, <clears throat> 3.5 million a year in revenue. And you, you said, you know, what was the key to our success from going from a, a $4 million practice to a, a 11 or $12 million practice? It would be our investments in space. We, we opened four additional clinics um, and ex expanded um, two of them, the, the two that were existing. You know, we invested in personnel. We were a staff, a, a team total, a uh, headcount of 35 five years ago, and now we're um, 85. It, investment in marketing. We're on more marketing channels. We have greater marketing flow. 
greater marketing systems than we've ever had before. Um, more diverse, more consistent ways of generating new patients than we've ever had before. We've invested in equipment. It's not a lot of uh, fancy equipment. We're pretty basic, but we've made investments in equipment that we can uh, provide more services to the customers, the patients that are coming through. We've developed and advancing our systems. You're going to have to advance in those things, uh, invest in those things to grow your practice. Again, you're not going to be able to starve to cut back here to, to drive a very temporary win, perhaps, in profitability. I don't see that work out well too often, and then expect to have a more valuable practice. It's actually the investment in that, um, that, that creates the growth. And the third big point here is building systems um, and processes. So there are only three ways to grow your business. You can increase the number of new clients. Um, and this is uh, Jay Abraham's uh, getting everything you can out of all you've got. I think it's page five or page seven. But um, yeah, first way is you can increase the number of, of clients. For most of us um, as independent private practice owners, um, that's going to be more new patients, right? More plans of care coming through um, with marketing. And that's at Breakthrough, that's what we specialize in and you, you have to invest there heavily. Right? Um, increase the average size of the sale per client. So if, <clears throat> this is a quick, easy example. Um, years ago, we used to uh, provide services for um, women's health. Um, urinary incontinence, uh, post-mastectomy post lymphedema, you get the idea there. Um, we, and that therapist was retiring, we looked at the average plan of care and it was uh, four to $500 um, was the range. So pretty limited, right? Our average plan of care for uh, spine and orthopedic issues was uh, over $1,200. Very simply, we just looked at it and made a business decision. We were like, well, we love providing women's health to the community. It's, it's great for creating goodwill, but um, it's not really sustainable for us as a, as a business model. We did the same thing with vestibular rehab. Uh, we tended to have a, a, and by the way, I, I know there are therapists um, and private practices that excel in that, but for us, it didn't really fit our financial, wasn't a financial driver for us. Um, so that like increasing the average size of the sale per client was nothing more than focusing on the diagnoses that were real, um, that we could service, uh, profitably and not lose money on. Um, the third thing you can do is increase the number of times that clients return and buy again. So, um, you know, we've talked about this, uh, every opportunity that we've had in the last um, eight years here at Breakthrough, but it, you know, taking care of that patient list, it's your number one most valuable asset and nurturing that list so that when patients receive a service from you, you know, our goal is that we serve them so well that they return to us again in the future. So three systems to focus on. Number one is patient demand. You know, if we're gonna accomplish um, what's on the left in terms of growing our business, we have to increase patient demand. How do we do that? Um, we do that through uh, marketing. We have to focus on personnel, growing our team, nurturing our team, uh, ultimately to, to build a more valuable practice. And we also focus on 
uh, our financial systems. And I gave you a quick example there, it can be in billing, um, can be looking at your, your various payers or perhaps um, your cash pay model, whatever that may be, but are you able to service um, with in your financial system, are you able to service to generate enough revenue um, to not only to keep your doors open and meet your expenses, but to have a little bit left over so you can continue to invest in your practice and grow. So let's focus on marketing here. Um, in terms of generating patient demand, um, th this is, uh, it's our marketing flywheel for the, the all-in-one patient demand platform. And this is exactly what we use as our marketing system to grow uh, my own private practice. So this is exactly what we're doing. The very first thing that we have to do if we're following that Jay Abraham model is we, we have to attract patients, right? So whether you are a podiatrist, a dentist, a physical therapist, um, a chiropractor, a doctor of regenerative medicine, whatever your specialty is, the very first thing that you have to do um, to get the flywheel rolling is you, you have to um, create patient demand through attraction of patients within your community, right? The way that most of us as clinicians will say it is, you know, I wish more people knew about our service. Absolutely. We've all had those conversations um, with friends at the grocery store, at social gatherings, um, whatever it may be, uh, where, you know, somebody's telling us about a problem that they have and you're thinking to yourself, well, obviously, my service is the answer, right? For what they're saying. And they're not even aware that, you know, that a physical therapist can help with um, preoperative knee pain, right? Can they help with, uh, you know, a, a rotator cuff or back pain or whatever it is that person is not even aware. So it starts with attraction. What does that mean? Well, that's advertising, advertising in, in proven media where that people are consuming that are, that need our services. Um, it means that we're running full service campaigns and we have pre-built landing pages um, to ultimately attract and, and capture um, the interest, the people that are clicking on those ads, that are seeing the ads that are responding, right? So that's the attraction component. After we attract them, we have to convert them over, right? We're not doing marketing. We can't afford to do marketing that is just simply branding, right? We, we need some sort of action uh, and something that we can ultimately measure in the end where we can be not only scientists within the, the clinic and the, the treatment that we're providing, but we can also be scientists with our marketing. So what's the missing step there, the bridge? It's conversion. So after we have ads that work and campaigns that work and we're generating interest, then we ultimately have to convert those um, ad responders over to paying patients. How do we do that? Well, we do it with lead management. We do it with email automation so that once somebody clicks on that ad or that ad on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or the Google ad that we're um, generating campaigns to them, conversations to them and email that they ultimately become that paying patient. And yeah, so we use email and two-way texting for that, um, which are extremely successful. And then after that happens, what do we want to do? Well, we want to see what has worked, right? So we can do more of what has worked and less of what is not working. We wanna see, be able to diagnose where are people dropping off and be able to fix that. So how do we do that? Well, we, we 
do that measurement with ROI intelligence and benchmark insights and training and coaching. And the example that I'll use here, um, just to illustrate a quick point is uh, we took a look at our, and we just did this last month, but uh, 2021 totals. So we, uh, in our practice, we use uh, workshops. Workshops are tremendous uh, for creating goodwill in the community and also doing something which is very difficult, which is converting cold traffic. So that's people who don't know, like, and trust us yet. So we're providing a valuable goodwill service. Um, we're positioning ourselves as the authority, the celebrity, the expert um, on the topic. And ultimately we're able to convert people who are, you know, uh, again, who don't know, like, and trust us yet. Um, and we're able to do that fairly quickly. So we took a look at, I think we had 15 different presenters within our company in 2021. And we run workshops on um, rotator cuff and shoulder, back pain and knee, I think are the three most common that we do. Well, we had one therapist uh, stand out where she had converted, um, it, it was in the upper 70% top. Uh, so essentially, um, you know, if 100 people attended her workshops during the course of the year, 75% um, of them converted over to a plan of care um, almost immediately, like same day as the workshop. And we took a look at what she was doing and um, she had this very unique close at the, the, in the last five minute of the workshop where she would do a demonstration with the patient from the audience. And she also said some very key things. In fact, in her last four workshops, she converted 100% um, using this little nuance. Now, and, and it, it quickly jumped out for us. So we, as an owner, would you not like to know, like, you know, what, what was that close? How was she, especially if you're doing workshops, what was she saying? What was she doing there? And then what we did is we recorded that. And then all of our other therapists are doing the same thing, right? That would be that ROI intelligence where we were looking at metrics, we were able to make better management decisions and ultimately elevate all of the presenters, not only at our private practice here, but the whole way across the board within all of the owners um, at Breakthrough, we shared it with everybody. So we also provide uh, the benchmark insights and training and coaching there as well. It's really important. So another poll coming up for you here. Um, are you interested in using the, the, the same type of demand, what I just showed you on the previous slide um, that, that enabled us um, to grow and, and literally quadruple the value of our practice? If you are, just click yes. And then our team will reach out to you um, and show you what's going on there. So Mark asked, uh, what was the close? Um, the, so I, I'm going um, to paraphrase here a little bit. So the therapist's name is Jan. Uh, Jan started with us uh, four years ago, uh, originally as a student. And then um, after she got her doctorate, became uh, one of our therapists and then grew into a team leader and then ultimately uh, clinical director at our latest location uh, in Hershey. Um, we opened that location in April of 2021, and she is up to um, 140, 150 visits a week um, with three full-time clinicians. And so I just wanna set the context, uh, very driven to succeed, excellent, everything that we're talking about here, and. Um, building the right team and everything else, Jan has 
done amazingly well with that. Ramped up that de novo clinic very quickly, and um, we were able to do it in a completely cold market. So, what um, what she does is at the end of the workshop, um, she so like for example, if it's the knee workshop, she she goes through, and there uh, there's some very good showmanship in what she's doing. But she basically, we have these, uh, they're called top three brochures. So if you followed me at, at all, um, yeah, I do a ton of YouTube stuff, top three exercises for knee pain, neck pain, back pain, all these things that uh, went viral that I, when I started learning about uh, marketing back in 2010, 2011, I posted on YouTube and a couple of them went viral. We turned those into brochures and she'll walk to the back of the room and she'll grab one of the brochures. So if she's doing, for example, knee pain, she'll grab the knee top three exercise for knee pain. She'll bring somebody up, she'll walk them through um, the exercises and how simple they are. All the while she's saying, listen, if you just wanna do very basic kindergarten level exercises, here you go. If you're, you know, but that's not all we do as physical therapists. And then she talks through all the other treatments, the modalities that we provide in terms of manual therapy and what a full assessment looks like. And then starting with these very simple kindergarten level exercise and then getting more advanced as um, each exercise level becomes easy. So she really validates and paints a clear picture of what the physical therapist does. And then she just simply says, who wants that, right? And uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna set up uh, evaluations. These are the evaluations that I have available this week and then has everybody go on schedule. Um, again, I'm paraphrasing what she does, but that, that is the essence of it. She's showing a very basic level and there are some psychological triggers that she's you know, cutting through in there. One, physical therapy isn't just a sheet of exercises, right? If, if you think that's what it is, here you go. You can certainly do that, but here's what we're gonna do that's above and beyond that. So it, it, it's pretty, um, it, it's a nice little nuance. And, you know, kind of embarrassing. I've done 200 plus workshops now. Um, I had never done that close, but she took it and really ran with it and created um, something that's truly unique and very successful. And the great thing about what we've created here at Breakthrough is we, ju we just share it amongst each other, right? So there are practices and, um, I, I mean, for us, we're learning from practices all over the US, all, all over Canada as well. <clears throat> so if you do have any questions, you can type those in the Q&A. Um, and I got a private one here that I'm going to read. So yeah, and for those um, who click yes in the post Andrea has here, uh, we'll follow up with more information about the patient demand systems and the strategies. First question coming through, a um, couple of questions came to mind. Number one, what was the number one key to helping you grow 20% year over year? All right, so the opening a de novo clinic, de novo means new. So if you go back five years ago, we had two practice locations. This location is roughly uh, 7,000 square feet. And we might've been seeing uh, 450, 500 visits a month, uh, I'm sorry, a week, 500 visits a week. And our other location, um, which is about uh, 13 miles away, we <clears throat> that is 4,000 square feet. I think it was 3,000 at the time. And 
probably seeing about 300 visits a week, right? So that was 2016, 2015, 2016. Today, uh, it's not only these two clinics, which now average a thousand visits a week, it's that we've added four additional clinics. And how did we do that? How do we go into brand new marketplaces? And so, and I'll run them all for you. So number one was Dolphin um, that we opened in September of 2018, brand new market for us. Um, by the way, we took an existing physical therapy space. That physical therapy space had been there for um, eight and a half years. And I know this because I know the owner of the building the most, and I also know the director that ran the, that, that space. Um, the most visits they had ever seen in a week was 73, and they were completely relying on physician referral. Our clinic, which we opened in 2018, and we do, the, we do patient demand, right? Direct to consumer marketing um, that we opened in 2018, that does 200 visits a week with five full-time clinicians. So, um, and we had to double the space from 1,200 to 2,600 square feet. Um, it's, but be, because we're not relying on physician referrals um, and there aren't many physicians in that area, we were able to go direct to the consumer. We were able to generate a ton of patient demand uh, with a system that we have in place. We were able to, able to grow that clinic quickly. Um, yeah, by, uh, I think they did seven, uh, week seven, they did 117 visits there. And year one, we had over $200,000 in profitability from that single clinic. It was September of 2018, we opened that up. Next clinic was Cedar Cliff, which was, uh, we opened January of 2020, January 27th, 2020, right before uh, the pandemic. That also is roughly uh, 2,500 square feet. Chris is the director there. Um, yeah, they ramped up very quickly as well. Um, and the pandemic hit and we took a little bit of a step back and they're now over same thing, 200 visits uh, plus per week. I think they've hit a high of uh, 227, something like that. They have five full-time clinicians. They're actually looking to blow out a wall and add additional clinic space there, um, which is a good problem to have. What did they do there? Same exact thing, went direct to the consumer, 90% plus uh, with direct to consumer marketing. Um, and the same exact model that we're sharing here. The Shrewsbury was the uh, third de novo that we've opened. Um, and that was, uh, that was our COVID clinic. So that was March 9th, um, 2020, and almost two years ago. <clears throat> and Central Pennsylvania, we opened on March 9th, COVID hit March 13th, and we went from uh, 18 new patients because we had done patient demand uh, Jennifer, we had already started the online advertising in the area. So that first month, we actually had 18 new patients. And in April, we dropped down to one, right? So pretty, pretty big blow, lost a little bit of money there in the beginning. Um, not too much we could do about that. But um, by June and July of 2020, that clinic was on the rebound. Uh, they are now at uh, 200 plus visits a week with five full-time clinicians. And they're doing the same thing there. We just found out uh, the adjacent space is AAA. They're ending their lease. So we're talking about expanding, knocking the wall down, expanding that clinic as well. Um, same idea there. Uh, the, well, all those three clinics are over a million in revenue um, per year. And they weren't part of our practice before, but we were able to go into new marketplaces and quickly expand. And I shared with you Hershey that we opened in, in April of 2021 as well. What did we do there? <clears throat> Same exact idea. 
going direct to the consumer um, with online uh, market <clears throat> online marketing system, and then ultimately converting those people that uh, see our advertisements over into plans of care. <clears throat> Next question, by the way, if you do have a question, you can type it in the Q&A. Um, what's the market like today for selling a practice? Well, uh, that's a great question. So um, the, I can tell you this, uh, multiples, the, the scale of multiples, um, <clears throat> at least as a month or two ago, is, is at an all-time high, like a 40-year high, right? It, it, it's, uh, it's competitive. It is, um, and I, I personally know people going through the process, but that is, um, yeah, it's very competitive right now. So great time if you're thinking about doing that, of starting up the process. Um, this, yeah, the, lots of buyers in the marketplace. There's a lot of private equity money. There are also um, uh, major players that are looking to make strategic moves. Uh, many of them we featured here before. What are your thoughts about growing the value of a startup? What are your thoughts about growing the value of your startup? Can you uh, expand on that? What, what kind of startup are we talking about? I, I have lots of thoughts, but I, just want you to point me in a direction. A startup solo dental practice. Okay. So um, I'm going to draw on, uh, I have a friend, two friends within the dental space. One um, is Jacob Poole, who owns, uh, is the founder of uh, DEO dental entrepreneur organization. Um, and then another friend who's a uh, orthodontist, uh, Dustin Burleson. But, um, and this is true for all solo providers, solo clinicians. And you're talking about uh, solo dental practice as opposed to uh, buying an acquisition. So what has happened is within healthcare over time is the barrier to entry um, has gone up a little bit. It is, it is more difficult to open from scratch a practice today, um, a bricks and mortar practice versus 20 years ago, right? And it, it doesn't matter what the industry is, um, but it, in general, that, that stands to be true. Why is that? Because the back office, um, there, there are more regulations, there are more centralized business functions, which would be HR, legal compliance, et cetera, that we need to have in place, right? So the value, you know, if your first option is to acquire an existing practice, maybe go into like a, a dentist who's retiring and purchase that practice over time, um, what do you get there? Well, you get the systems are already up in place. Now, some of those systems might be antiquated. And I would be asking uh, a lot of questions before I'm acquiring an existing practice. I would want something that's really valuable especially if I'm going to pay a couple hundred thousand or even, you know, over a million for an existing practice. The startup that, you know, what, what are the pros of that? Well, you get to create from new. It also means there's a steep learning curve, right? So you don't have an existing patient list that you can 
market to where that existing practice, you're basically getting their, you're getting their patient list that you can go back to and sell more, uh, you know, if you're going to offer something like uh, some sort of teeth straightening or like Invisalign or teeth whitening or whatever services um, that you're going to uh, promote that you're offering, you, you already have that list in the established practice. If you're starting new, now you have to learn how to market to cold traffic. So, um, you know, can you do it? W yes. You know, would I want to start from scratch all over again? Um, <laughs> absolutely not. But um, it, it's very possible. So you're going to have to weigh out like, you know, what, and some people just love, you know, learning every aspect of the business um, as they're growing it. And other practice owners are looking for more of a turnkey situation. So it's really more of a values call um, for yourself as you're thinking through that. I notice a lot of people get their first acquisition then start buying multiple other practices. And I wonder how it makes financial sense if your loan and cost becomes massive. Are they counting on the value of the practices when they sell? Well, yeah, so that's a little bit different question, but if you're an acquirer, um, yeah. So, I mean, think about that. We used Apple before. I'm trying to think uh, of a good acquisition. I mean, Facebook acquires more, so they're, probably a real but why why is facebook so willing to acquire and fold up other services google does the same thing um amazon did the same thing i mean usually they were buying the list and the list was more valuable or the service was more valuable the existing customers were more valuable to facebook than they were the seller it's the same thing there. So if you see like a, a dental practice, I think you said you were in Niagara Falls, uh, going around and buying a whole bunch of other practices, there's some sort of private equity play in there. And uh, yeah, single site solo practice certainly doesn't drive the multiple of 50 locations, right? So if somebody's able to go through and acquire 50 locations and unite them, <coughs> excuse me, and unify them, and drive a profitable business that's worth more or money, right? Um, so that's one way to think about it. Not really my expertise, but I understand the, um, the mechanism. I cannot open the questions tab, Andrea. I'm not sure if you can. Yep, you know, I've got it. it. Um, the question is from Deepak and I, I think it's just what, what you've already been talking about, but thoughts on starting a new practice versus acquiring an existing one. Yeah, so we go through, um, this is how we think about it. Um, we, so if we're gonna open a de novo clinic, historically that has cost us, those four clinics, the average was $150,000. I think because of the cost of construction and real estate and the inflation effects of the last few years, um, that's a little, that's right around $200,000. So we'll evaluate, okay. So $200,000, one year out, and we, we have every director do a pro forma for um, each office. But like, you know, what does this look like in terms of income and expenses? And they've done a really nice job. Our directors have done a really nice job of saying like, this is gonna be the revenue, this is gonna be the cost, this is gonna be the margin that we're gonna operate um, 12 months from now. Now, the right way to do it would be to look three or five years down the road of option A, acquiring, or option B, um, just opening a de, a de novo, a new clinic, right? 
And so we're, we constantly evaluate that and it's really just a math question. So why would I want to acquire um, another practice? Why would somebody want to acquire you, right? Or why would you want to acquire somebody else in your area? Well, hopefully there are core values match. Um, they're, they're very similar. Uh, not that you, uh, I hear owners talk about it. Like, I really like this other owner. That, that's a bad, that's not necessarily a good business decision, right? But core values match is really, really important, right? Um, so, and we have three that we look for. So if I'm talking about other or with other owners ever that we're thinking about merging or anything like that, that's, I mean, that has to be part of what you're looking for, right? Core values match number one. Number two is, does their, is their business model make sense um, for what you're doing? So, you know, would you go into a new market? So if we can open a de novo for $200,000 in a year from now, um, or let's say 18 months from now, conservatively, we're going to be at 200 visits a week and 200,000 um, a year in profitability for that location. What does that practice that we could potentially acquire? What do they want? Right. <coughs> Excuse me. If it's $3 million for this, the like, no, that doesn't make mass sense. But if it's $300,000, maybe that makes sense, right? So it, it really depends on, on what you're looking at um, and realize that now that you understand practice value to a degree with the determinants and what the formula is, you can start saying like, you know, is it, is it worth it to acquire this other practice? I, I would look at their patient list as well and what they've done with their marketing like I would want to know, I, I'd have a lot of questions around those determinants. How consistent, like, do they have underutilized space? Do they have underutilized personnel? Um, do they have an underutilized um, patient list that they're just not marketing to? That they, you know, wh where can you offer arbitrage? Where can you offer improvement in systems, improvement in personnel um, that are going to make sense and um, and and be able to increase the value of that practice if you're acquiring. Uh, Angela, hopefully I've pronounced, pronounced that right, has growth helped with better insurance reimbursement rates? Um, what has helped with better insurance reimbursement rates is having patients go back to the insurance companies. Um, that's, they're, they're the best advocate. So, and we've had that happen a, a couple times. We've, we've attempted to negotiate, but at our size, Eight million in revenue. It, it's we're not that we're not big enough to make a dent there. And we, we try, we try all the time, and we'll get a dollar here and a dollar there, but not not significant like you're thinking about. Mark recently moved to a new city and started starting clinic. What should a full service campaign look like? At what point does it make sense to consider investors? There has been interest. So, um, yeah, this this will be our last question here. Um, there has to be some value to bringing on an investor. Um, I've, I've avoided it. Um, we started with a SBA loan um, for $50,000 and uh, paid that off and just never looked back. But uh, yeah, I mean, certainly you can do that. Full service campaign 
is, um, and, and if you click yes there, our team will be in touch with you and show you what that looks like, but it's, it's the ad, it's everything that happens after the person responds to the ad, which is really indoctrination and um, a whole other list of marketing steps. And then it's what happens at the event or at the appointment, um, ultimately before that person signs up to a plan of care. And it can even include what happens after they're in the plan of care and after they've graduated your services as well. Um, sorry for the abbreviated response, Mark. But um, nonetheless, uh, hopefully uh, everybody here, you got a lot out of this. Um, if you could give me like your biggest takeaway in the chat before we sign off, that would be great. Um, otherwise, thank you everybody for being on here. Thank you for also uh, being highly engaging and responding uh, to all the polls as well. Thank you, everybody. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.